You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Mending the Past. Hello. Hey, what are you doing? I'm the best man at a wedding tonight, and I ha- I'm just in the middle of writing the speech. Forget about your stupid wedding. Come meet me in the park now. I'm not kidding around. What are you? No, come to the park. No, I can't. No, come to the park. Gregor, I have to come finish. Come to the park. I have to write. Bop, 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 bop. Come to the park. This is urgent. I mean, what's the uh, emergency? This call is dropped. No, I, I can't hear anything you're saying. Gregor, call is I, breaking up all over the place. No, I. <laughs> I thought it's time you got out, got some sunlight. You know, a flower like yourself is not going to bloom underneath fluorescent lights. Why was it so important for... for Look around you. Spring has sprung. Life is fleeting. When was the last time I saw you outside? I must have seen you uh, outside some time ago. What about when it was raining? Listen, Mr. Gloomy, you know how usually parents of little kids will say, let's get a play date together and we'll go to something like the carousel in the park? Remember I was telling you my idea that grown-ups should have play dates? I don't remember you telling me about that. It's a perfect day for a play date. I mean, look around you. The birds are frolicking in the bushes. The bushes are frolicking with the trees. What more? Yes, look at that. Look at that right there. You see that? Nature. It's a bird. Nature. No, but that's like, that's kid stuff. Play dates are for kids. What do you want to be? Do you want to be an 80-year-old man? I mean, you have the body of one, but do you want to have the mentality of one? you got to stay young. You know how you stay young? You act young. You see those guys? They're trying to be. See, they're setting up a little campsite by that tree. Gregor, th- those guys are homeless. Ooh, look, a sprinkler. I have an idea. Why don't you take off your clothes and you can play in the sprinkler in your underwear? None of the other kids will make fun of you. What do you say? Go play in the sprinklers. I think if you want to go play in the sprinklers in your underwear, you go do it, and, and I'll stay here. All right, I'll tell you what. Let's run through them. I'm not going to run through them because I, I've got my laptop with me. Your laptop will be fine. It's probably it's not. I'm not going to run. No. Don't be such a stiffly Stifferson. Run through the sprinklers. I'm not going to. If you want to run, run through, through the... Don't bring her. I'll tell you what. I'm going to make everything I've ever done bad to you up to you. I'm going to buy you an ice cream. I can't, you know I can't eat ice cream. I'm lactose intolerant. Ice cream. I can't. Well, Gregor, I can't have ice cream. Chocolate with the almonds. And let me have another one. Gregor, I'll be what paying. You want? I don't want one. I'll be paying for it all one, night. Two chocolate with almonds and one vanilla. Pam. I should pay it. All, all I got is 20s. Mm. That is pretty good. It's been like years since I've had ice cream. You know why vanilla ice cream is white? Why is that? Because they put titanium dioxide in it. It's the same stuff they use in house paint. Look at that, a little train. Does Johnny want to go on the train? No. Johnny, like you train? Future train for Johnny. I'm going to get you a giant inflatable novelty hammer. Which color do you want? Do you want the black one or the orange one? Will you stop that? with a carousel. Want to go around? On the merry-go-round? Yeah, I'll hold your stuff. Just go ahead. Wait in line. I don't think so. I told you the carousel story no, from my childhood. I don't any carousel I fell off one of those horses. Yeah? Is that how you wound up the man you are today? 
Well, in a way. What, did you hear that and land on your head? No, I was just, I was, I was small as a kid, and my dad put me up on one of those things, but he gets, he gets dizzy and nauseous, and he didn't want to come up on the horse with me, so he paid this guy to ride on it with me, and uh, the guy was kind of drunk, and he, he let me slide, and I, I slipped off the horse. Jared Golden Ring, you know this song? Hey, listen, you know, I realize now why I asked you here today. You had a rotten childhood, and you became a rotten person. You just realize this now. Yeah, but what we can do today, just like in the movies, we'll go on the carousel ride, we'll uh-huh. have the same one you had with your dad, only I'll go with you to make sure you don't fall off. I'm not go- are you kidding? Like a hundred movies. And then after the ride, you're going to be cured of all your problems. You know what I mean? Yeah, but Gregor... It's like going back to the crime scene. Life isn't that simple. You know, people spend, you know, decades on the couch trying to Forget resolve these the issues. Therapy is for the therapist. Come on, let's get on the ride. One carousel ride is all you need, and you're going to be singing a whole different tune. You're going to be singing this song. Toot, 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 toot. Come on. I'll hold you. Don't be afraid. Don't you think it would be a little ridiculous looking two full-grown men on, on, on a carousel horse? Listen, you'll hold on to the pole. I'll sit right behind you on the saddle, and I'll hold on to you. There's nothing to be afraid of. You won't get... Oh, hurt. there won't be anything to be afraid of. I'm going to have you sitting behind me on a carousel horse. Oh, you afraid of being a grown-up? You afraid of stepping out of the shadows of your child-scared Jonathan being unafraid grown-up Jonathan? And I'm going to conquer this by getting on, on a merry-go-round with you. Yes, you are. We get on there? I'm going to make a new man of you. Well, I don't know why I'm doing this, but all right. Come on, I don't want to break my 20. Give him $3. How tall do you have to be to get on the ride? Doesn't matter. Yeah? I don't want him to fly off and get hurt. You <laughs> won't. Can, can I at least have the change? I'll need that for later. <laughs> More ice cream. <laughs> You're going to work up quite an appetite on this ride, my friend. Hey, look, those two little girls are staring at you. They're staring at us because we're full-grown men in the middle of the day going to ride a merry-go-round. Look at how happy they look. Look at it. They don't look happy. (laughs) Look the way she's holding her ears with delight. It's because it's deafening. (laughs) That's because oompa-pa music is not meant to be played as easy listening. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're getting on. Get on the horse. Don't, why don't you get on your own horse? Get on the horse. All right, I'm, I'm on. I'm holding you. This was like the first thing they built after the pilgrims landed. <laughs> was it carousel? Yeah, well, they got to have fun, baby. This, this is a lot faster than, than, it, than it felt just watching it. Okay, let go of all the bad trauma of your childhood. We're having a little carousel therapy. You're holding me too tightly. I'm doing that so you don't fall off and break. Gregor, you're, you're really, it's making me sick. I think it's part of the healing. The toxins are coming out. Gregor, I really don't feel well. I think I should. Is there an emer- I've got to get off this thing. Get the poison out, Johnny. Get the poison out. I, I'm going to vomit. That's what change is all about. That you're, that, Gregor, that tickles. <laughs> all right. All right that, you're, you're having fun despite yourself. I'm not having fun. You're having fun. All right. I'm having a little bit of fun. Oh, this thing's really wild. Oh, Gregor. You better hang on. Hang on. Come on. Let's get out of here. I think you're all healed. I don't feel healed. Take a look around. The colors look a little more vivid. Everything look a little brighter. You remember how you fought me tooth and nail going on the carousel? You said, I'm going to throw up. I'm perspiring unnaturally. I did. I, I threw up a little bit. I swallowed my vomit a little bit. And the whole time, you're like, get me off here. Get me off here. And now, yeah, who had fun at the park? You did. A dollar fifty later, three, because you paid for both of us, you're cured. All your problems are gone. Yeah, but could I just ask you something? Yeah. If we're, we're off the carousel, can you take your hands off my hips? You have a very womanly hips. Can you get your hands off of me, please? Thank you. You kind of bumped them, too.
explain what it is that a regression therapist does? Well, a regression therapist using this healing tool of regression of um, to go back to understand the past mm-hmm. in order to improve the present and furthermore to build upon the future. And when you talk about going back... You can go back to childhood. You can go back to during the womb period. You can go back into past life. You can go back into the genealogy. That's, that's going pretty far back. That's going very far back, but all these memories are stored in our subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. Pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of conflict with relationships. And so if we go back and find the first event, the source of the issue, then when I bring the person back, they don't feel that anger anymore or, uh, or the issue they have. They clear the issue they have through hypnosis and the way we ask the questions. But, I mean, how do you, what, what proof do you have? I mean, how do you, how do you know that, that... How do I know if a person feels better? Mm-hmm. Is that a proof? But, I mean, how, how, how do you know that it's, you know, because you've, you've figured out what their past lives are? Like, how, how do you know that I people have had past lives? I don't figure it out. I don't figure it out. I ask questions and they go back. Mm-hmm. And they tell you stories. Now, do I focus a lot if these stories are true or not true or if, mm-hmm. or if it's imagination? Or mm-hmm. if, I really don't have a proof. Mm-hmm. But I do know when I work with the clients, mm-hmm. they feel better in the end of it. And, and um... Are you able to uh, guide people into the past over the telephone? Um, I have done that. I have done that. If you're interested, sometimes we can do it. I mean, I would be. I mean, is it anything that we would be able to try in any capacity now? Right now? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, you... In what situation you, you find yourself... Um, having fear? Uh, just all the time. All the time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, so what I wanted to do is I'm going to ask you to just relax, let your hands down. All right. And just take a couple of deep breaths. Allow yourself to relax, Jonathan. Okay. Your body is very relaxed. Pay attention your eyelids. Mm-hmm. Focus on your eyelids. Okay. Your, your eyelids are very relaxed. Mm-hmm. And close your eyes and go deep. You are in a very deep level of hypnosis, mm-hmm. so, but I do want you to talk to me, and as uh, I'm going to count from one to three, at three you will be able to speak to me very clearly, yet you're going to remain in hypnosis and you go deeper and deeper, much deeper. So now, one, going back in time, two and three, you are there, tell me where you are. Are you inside or outside? Answer me profoundly. Inside I'm or outside? Inside. And how old are you, first? I'm not born yet. What do you see? I see red. It's, it's, I see the womb. I want to stay inside. I don't want to go outside. You're safe. You're going to be okay. You're going to be born and you're going to be totally okay, right? Mm-hmm. Communicate with that baby that you're mm-hmm. going to come out. You're going to have a great life. Stay where you are. Stay where you are? It's good in there. Yeah, but you can't stay too long. Why not? Don't you have a good life right now, Jonathan? Better inside. Well, but you have to learn lessons, isn't it? 
You they learn the lessons inside. But you can only stay there nine months. You cannot stay longer. It's warm. Okay, are you going to follow my instructions? Mm-hmm. You cannot stay more than nine months, so that you have to you have to get out of there. The harder outside, though. You can't stay in the womb, Jonathan. Come on. You can only stay nine months. You're going to come out, but you can come and bring back with you all the wonderful memories you felt in the womb and float back all the way back to now, pick up the learnings from all of the events, come back to now, and let me know when you're back. Mm-hmm. And you feel, take that hot, wonderful, clean feeling. Can you get that feeling? Mm-hmm. That good feeling? Mm-hmm. You see, Jonathan, if I work with you for hours, mm-hmm. and I will clear this, and I will clear that, and I will clear that, you can become very powerful in every area of your life. You, you, do, you, do you think it's, it's, it's as simple as that? You know, I've been doing this for many years, mm-hmm. and it is simple. Okay, well, um, I, I really appreciate your time, Debbie. It's it's nice of you to do this. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Debbie. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. A week ago, on my 17th birthday... I received a postcard from my mother. It was the first I'd heard from her in over five years. On it was a drawing of Nietzsche. The card said, I think of you often, but the penicillin helps. On the back she wrote, I'm staying in L.A. I don't know why they haven't given me a star on the sidewalk yet. Ha ha. The return address was her cousin's house. I had just graduated from high school and didn't have a summer job, so I decided I'd make my way from Montreal to L.A. and surprise her. My mother had left us to go off and become an artist. I'd always hear stories about how she was off doing exciting things, like living in hotels and working on boardwalks. At home, it was just me and my dad, and unless you consider TV dinners and picnics on the couch exciting... Our life was pretty unglamorous. Nothing like life in L.A. I'd always been too young to track my mom down. Until now. The ticket to L.A. was on sale for $221. It was the most expensive thing I had ever bought on my own. It meant walking to school instead of taking the bus for months. It meant not buying a new pair of sneakers. And even though I didn't care that much about it, it meant kissing my prom goodbye. My dad tried to talk me out of going, but I wouldn't listen. That ticket was all I wanted. And for the whole week leading up to the trip, I spent hours holding it in my hands like an autographed baseball, just staring at it. And now the day has finally come. I'm at the Montreal bus station, and all I have with me is a school bag of clothes, two paperback novels, a Walkman everyone laughs at, and a plastic bag with enough peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat during the three-day trip. Three thick sandwiches a day. That worked out to nine sandwiches altogether. I looked at them piled high, and I knew that when they were done, I'd be in Los Angeles, California, with my mother. I am nervous when we get to the border. 
This is because everyone in my family is always telling stories about never making it across. For me and my family, the American border is like the wardrobe to Narnia, but you never know when its magic is going to fail. For my mother's brother, Uncle Lester, it always seems to fail. Lester has a tattoo of a swan on his left hand and a criminal record for blowing up his own mailbox. It's been six years since Lester's been to the U.S. Good luck getting in, he told me before I left. They consider poets and philosophers politically undesirable. Then he made me promise to bring him back a carton of Lucky Strike cigarettes and a pack of Hostess Twinkies. The German shepherd struts by, sniffing through the suitcases. As I watched the dogs, the crossing guard asked me if I'm planning to go to college and if I've ever been out west before. I can't figure out if these are trick questions, so I say no to both. He then asks me the purpose of my trip. I'm visiting my mother, I say. The words sound so strange in my mouth that I blush because it feels like I'm lying. He looks at me funny, but then he waves me on and I breathe a sigh of relief. We stop to eat in Albany, and I decide to invest in a family-sized bag of salt and vinegar chips. In Philadelphia, after the sun goes down, the man sitting next to me turns on his little overhead light and shows me the memoir he is working on. It is in a tiny black telephone book. My dad once told me that only the lowest of the low write memoirs. Prostitutes, libertines, and child stars. I switch seats when he dozes off, so I won't end up being a confession in the next chapter. A man gets on the bus in Cleveland with only his bathing trunks, a yellow towel around his shoulders, and a plastic bag of seashells in his hand. He tells the bus driver that he went for a swim, and his suitcase and clothes were stolen. He sits in front right across the aisle from me, and for several minutes he is silent. Then he stands up and yells out that if anyone has a t-shirt they can throw him, he'd be much obliged. As a species, bus people are braver than most, and the man's courage is rewarded with a stained t-shirt bearing a unicorn. He sits down, and fills in the back of a postcard with a picture of the beach on it. Wish you were here, he writes. A minister gets on in Detroit. He carries a dark green school bag and wears gray running shoes. He looks like he cuts his own hair with safety scissors. When we stop at a McDonald's, He takes out a cream cheese and jelly sandwich from his bag and drinks orange juice out of a thermos. He tells me that if I go get myself a cup, he'll give me some. As I drink, he tells me that the church is going out of business, so if I'm planning on getting saved, I'd better do it soon. An old lady on crutches gets on in Wichita. She asks if she can have my aisle seat, and so I scooch over to the window. In gratitude, she hands me a green lollipop from her purse. When I ask her about the crutches, 
She tells me that her son was afraid that one of these days she was going to fall asleep smoking and set the bed on fire. So he got her a water bed. Then she ended up breaking her ankle trying to get out of it to answer the phone. For some reason, this story makes me feel incredibly sad. Like all the best intentions in the world will still always end up breaking your mother's leg. I decide to call my friend Zachary in Montreal at the next stop. I just want to speak with someone I know, but when I call, I get his answering machine. It says, "If this is Carl, we left without you, man. Meet us there, and don't forget to see you know who to get the you know what, so we can." <sighs> I hang up the phone, lonelier than ever. I even consider calling my dad, but I'm afraid I might start crying, and neither of us needs that. Then in Amarillo, a really cute teenager starts talking to me. He says his name is George, and he wears his bangs down to his nose. He is carrying a guitar case full of weed for a drug dealer in San Jose. At first, I feel special that he's confided this to me, and I reciprocate by telling him about how I'm going to L.A. to surprise my mom, who I haven't seen since I'm a kid. I tell him about how I'm nervous that she might not even recognize me anymore, that she might have forgotten everything about me, that she might just look at me like I'm a complete stranger. George tells me he can't understand what my obsession with my mother is all about. My mom's like consumed with vacuuming, he says. She vacuums the couch, the curtains, and even photographs. I saw her coming down the street the other day, and I crossed the street because her hair was like in a state. I go out of my way not to see my mother. Somewhere around El Paso, he climbs into the empty seat next to me and asks if I wouldn't mind if he kisses me. I close my eyes and let him do it, and all the while I can't get the song from the El Paso taco sauce commercial out of my head. In Tucson, we have a half hour to kill, so George and I sit outside the station, flipping baseball cards against the wall. It's ten o'clock at night, and we talk about how we would survive if the bus broke down in the desert. Bus stations are always in the weirdest parts of town, and as we talk, a red hen walks down the sidewalk outside the terminal, right past us, like she's trying to play it cool, not make eye contact. I was pretty into omens at the time. Like if you saw a three-legged dog, it meant you were going to lose something important. But I still couldn't figure out what that hen meant, whether it meant I would find my mother and everything would be okay, or whether it meant it wouldn't. What do you think it means? I asked George. Why do you keep bringing up your mother? He asks. Are you going to tell her about how I have drugs on me? I hate girls who tell their mothers everything. When we get back on the bus, George goes to sit in the back. He says he needs to keep close to the bathroom in case a state trooper gets on board, and he has to make a quick drug flush. But I know that it's really because I scared him off with all my deep talk about the meaning of chickens. I have become the one people move their seat away from.
As it gets late, everyone turns off the little overhead lights and dreams about all the same things that everyone else dreams. The exact same dreams as people on king-sized mattresses and princess beds in nice neighborhoods tucked in tight from the world. I sit there among them and dream about L.A. and my mother, about seeing her in the morning. I wake up before everyone else on the bus and see that we're pulling into the Los Angeles terminal. Over the PA, the bus driver says, Welcome to La La Land. He says it the same way he warns people not to smoke in the bathroom, but I still can't help smiling. I'm starving, and even though I still have half a squish sandwich left in my bag, I decide to hold off and wait until my mother and I can have breakfast together. I remember from when I was little that she liked to scramble eggs with lots of milk to make them extra fluffy. I remember how she danced in the kitchen when she cooked in long t-shirts down to her knees, how she made up goofy songs that even made my dad laugh. I remember how she always slept in late. I imagined showing up in her bedroom, seeing her wipe the sleep from her eyes, and smiling. Wiretap today, you heard Gregor Ehrlich and regression therapist Debbie Papadakis of the Hypno Healing Institute. For more information on past life regression therapy, visit hypno-healing.com. You also heard Heather O'Neill reading her short story, Welcome to La La Land. Heather is the author of Lullabies for Little Criminals, winner of this year's Canada Reads, and as of this week, a Governor General Literary Award nominee. Wiretap is produced by Jonathan Goldstein, with Mira Birdwin-Tonic and Carolyn Warren. Tune into Wiretap Sunday at 1, 4 Pacific Time, and Wednesday evenings at 11.30. You can also hear Wiretap across North America on Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.